0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Rock are rolling, but are they being overlooked? The East is extremely tough this year. The Colorado Mammoth finally get off the snide with their first win of the season. And this week, we're joined by Blaine Manning, Sean Williams, and some guy named Pat Gregoire. All that more on OTCB. what is good lacrosse fans and welcome to another edition of the off the crossbar podcast here on soundcloud and nll radio my name is teddy jenner thank you for stopping by for another edition of the show you want to get a hold of me you can super simple email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com or find me on twitter at off the crossbar as always love having some chats and especially with all of you around the lacrosse world, North America, Europe, Asia, Australia, wherever we chat from. Because this is a global game. Maybe not as global as soccer, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We're over, what, 70-odd nations playing this game. FIL adding more and more countries to their faction every single month. Great to see the game continue to grow. And great to see... The lacrosse family continued to rally around Lyle Thompson, uh, the Thompson brothers, Native Americans, and inclusion in sport. And the world and game of lacrosse is for everybody. No matter color, creed, religion, orientation, you can play with me anytime. Bring a stick, bring a ball, we'll find a wall and have some fun. And just amazing support for Lyle, amazing support for the Native American community. Uh, It just goes to show how strong we can be when we come together. And it's an event that we can put behind us, but we must learn from it and grow from it. And I think we are doing an incredible job of standing up and not allowing that moment to take us down. So congratulations and kudos to everybody who has Stood up, used their voice, uh, and used this moment to educate and grow from a very unfortunate incident. But we move along, and as they say, the game of lacrosse is a medicine game, and we use it to heal. And this past weekend, boy, did we heal.
1: up.
2: Back for Stotts who shoots and scores. Austin Stotts, the leading rookie in this league, has the advantage for the Roughnecks. Down for Stotts. Stotts low to low and he scores on the bouncer. From all the way outside. Billings works his way and goes behind the net for the Georgia has tied it up, and guess who it is? Lyle Thompson with number four of the night. Not at 12, three minutes left. Minute left in this power play. Digby to O'Connor. Back in front, Digby, yes! New England takes the lead. As the final seconds on this third quarter, ticked out and Mike Messenger, What a shot, bounces one in with just 2.5 left on the clock. That ball. is an absolute crushing goal there. Dinsdale for Robert Church. Six points here so far this evening for Robert Church, he will fire right on it, right through the wickets. Robert Church, a massive goal. Being watched by Jones-Smith. Dishes it off to Jackson for Minerali and Kirk. Once again, he is dialed in here in this second half.
0: That's 7 games over 3 days and if you weren't entertained by what you saw this past weekend, you either don't have a pulse, you are blind, cannot hear, or you are living under a rock. What an incredible NLL weekend in week 6. And it just goes to show that as we expand and we largen largen, is that a word? Largen Um, We increase the size of the player pool that I don't think we are seeing the drop-off that many people thought. Now, 0-5 Philadelphia, obviously not ideal, but they're not an 0-5 team. They've had some bad luck. Vancouver, Colorado, Rochester, all with one win under their belt. Uh, Neither of those teams are playing up to their level of play, and I think all three will improve. But it's not because expansion has watered down the product. Because if you look at the top of the tables, you have three teams with four wins, another couple teams with three wins, and the elites, quote-unquote, of the league right now, Toronto, Buffalo, New England, Georgia, Saskatchewan, San Diego, there's not much to decide between those six clubs. And at the bottom half of the table, there's not much to decide between Rochester, Philly, Calgary, Colorado, Vancouver. I truly believe that right now, the East is an incredibly tough division. We'll go into that in a little bit. when We talk with Blaine Manning and Pat Gregoire about the East. But obviously, when you add in the extra club of Philadelphia, it's going to make things tighter. And with four teams making the playoffs this year in each division, it's going to make things a little tougher. But when you look at Toronto, Buffalo, New England, Georgia, the top four teams in the East, only a half a game separates those four clubs. And I have a feeling that we're going to be seeing those four four teams battle it out, and it's going to be close all the way to the end of April. That's just how tough the East is. If Philadelphia or Rochester can go on a run, obviously, yes, they can throw a bit of a wrench into things. But I think we're already starting to see a little bit of separation between the top four and bottom two in the East. And unfortunately for Rochester, the loss of Matt Vince has been huge. Uh, for Philadelphia, they're still trying to find some consistency between the pipes with Doug Buckin and Big Dave DiRuscio. But if they can get healthy and start to get some momentum on their way, I think this team will start to understand what it takes to win in the National Lacrosse League. The Toronto Rock, though, are a very interesting story. And off the top, I said maybe they're going a little bit underrated and under the radar, as it were. And I think they are because so many people We're talking about Buffalo, and they're talking about Georgia. I don't really think they gave Toronto much respect. And with the recent run of the New England Black Wolves, knocking off Calgary, knocking off Saskatchewan, knocking off Georgia, this is a team that is gaining some momentum and making some noise, and a lot of people are talking about them. Where I don't think as many people are really talking about Toronto, even though 4-1, tied for the best record in the NLL, given up the least amount of goals of those top two teams, and have maybe the top goaltender in the National Lacrosse League, as Nick Rose sits second in goals against average and second in save percentage, tied for first in wins. But I still don't think people are giving them enough credit. Schreiber, Jones, Hellier, you got three big guns. And you have Nick Rose in defense and a defense that is playing very steady, yet again, quiet. They're not making much noise. They're just going out and doing their job to steal a Bill Belichick nomenclature. And I think they're okay with going a bit under the radar. I don't think they're worried about all the pomp and circumstance and being ranked number one in weekly polls. Sure, that's nice. But if everybody has their eyes focused on you, you can't sort of sneak up on teams and surprise them. And I really believe that More people are focused on what Buffalo is doing and what New England is doing and what Georgia is doing and not really focusing on the Toronto Rock out east. Heck, I think more people are talking about San Diego than they are about Toronto. And having seen the Rock firsthand in that game two weekends ago where they put up 68 shots In a winning game against Colorado, I'm a true believer that this is a team to be feared. Now, the biggest issue that's always hurt Toronto in the past has been staying healthy. And for them right now, knock on wood, they are healthy. And if they can keep that trend going and continuing to get solid minutes from Nick Rose, contributions out of the back end, the leadership of Chow and Rodgers has been incredible to watch. And then the more games this offense plays with each other, the more familiar they'll get with each other, and the more success they're going to have because we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg of what Tom Schreiber can do and the slow emergence of Kieran McCardle, And it all comes down to the genius mind of Blaine Manning, offensive coach. The Toronto Rock. He and I, former Victoria Shamrock teammates, got a chance to catch up earlier on Tuesday, and I asked him how much fun is it to be a part of the Toronto Rock right now?
3: Yeah, it's always nice when you're winning, right? So uh, obviously, last year we uh, we uh, didn't play up to expectations. So so far, uh, the guys been grinding out with some good results. So it's been uh, it's been a breath of fresh air for sure. It's kind of odd to think that
4: with that uh, heartbreaking loss to Georgia, this could be a five and team. Do you feel like your group is getting the respect of a four and one team around the league?
3: Uh, I'm not sure, nor does it, I uh, think, really matter at this stage in the game. Um, we, you know, we've played, we've had a couple of real solid games where we've played and uh, then we've had a couple of games where I think we were, you know, lucky to win. Um, you know, that one in, so, uh, at home against Philadelphia was, uh, wasn't was a great game, I don't think, but uh, we found a way. And, and that's actually a pretty encouraging sign, too, because, uh Good teams uh, sometimes can uh, not play their best game, and uh, if they can find a way to win, that's always good. Absolutely, and you have a great guy between the pipes in Nick Rose. How impressive has he been this year? Yeah, rosie has been great for us. Um, You know, uh, especially last game. You know, I think uh, when whenever you can win the goaltending battle, um, it's obviously a huge benefit to. To the team and and for the most part uh every game rosie's played this year he's obviously given us a real good chance to win so uh that's all you can ask uh, from your goalie and he's been he's been real good for us so far your main focus is out the front door where
4: you are a specialty man uh how impressive and exciting is
3: it to watch a guy like tom schreiber yeah tommy's uh tommy's um real real fun guy to watch he's uh He's he's a guy like I keep telling people he's he literally does everything uh really really well. He shoots the ball um hard and accurate. Like he's a great shooter. He's got great uh great vision, great feeder and uh he's also super athletic. Uh competes harder than uh most anyone in the league. So he's uh, he's a special guy to watch and I think he's just kind of you no, know, this is, I guess, year three for him, but he's he's still learning the game, right? Um, lots of Canadian kids have hundreds and hundreds of games of experience growing up, and you know he's got uh, he's got less than sixty, I guess, so uh, mm-hmm. probably less than fifty, but uh, he's getting better every game, and uh, he's uh, he's doing well. And, you know, so is uh, so is our other American, Karen. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's coming along uh, quite nicely as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you that the you know everyone understood that Tom kind
4: of took the world by storm and hit the NLL right away and had success, and it's taken Kieran um, a little bit longer. How impressed have you been with his maturation process indoors?
3: Yeah, he's been real good. Like he's he's just a tough check. His feet are so good, and he's uh, yeah. strong on his feet, and uh, Kieran's ball well. And so he he helped. He's really helping us break defenses down, and. Um, and uh, his vision is honestly like, uh, for a guy hasn't played a lot, it's real, real nice to see what he's been doing this year. Uh, his vision's great, and obviously he can shoot the ball as well, too, so um, yeah, they, they, those guys can do a little bit of everything, which is which is nice for a coach uh, um, to have all those types of options. You guys put up 68 shots on Colorado. How the heck did you do that? Yeah, you know, we, we actually, that was a pretty good game. Like, I just remember coming in at half, and uh, we thought we'd Put like a real solid half in but uh it was still a pretty tight game at half just uh you know they had lots of lots of shots we got lots of uh, repossessions our defense was outstanding um and uh so we were you know we just getting multiple looks on on that and uh D-Oard had a great game uh but uh yeah our offense we, we had quality looks too they weren't just kind of outside cloggers we we you know we felt we played real real good in that game so um that's what you got to do you want to win that
4: That twelve eleven loss to Georgia probably stings a little bit, but what did you learn about your club in that game?
3: Yeah, like so war record hasn't been uh that great against those guys over the last couple of years, and um, just like we that's not a game where we felt we played really good and just didn't really have a whole lot to show for it towards the end um but uh you know, just to compete like they're they're a real they're a real nice ball team, and yeah. uh are right up there with I think you know Saskatchewan is was kind of the top dog, so, um, you know, we played him super tight, and we didn't have our best game, so, uh, you know, we just, we, we knew, you know, we're in that same kind of ballpark, which was good, I think, for the guys, um, the guys to realize that, and uh, just compete, like, to watch, watch some of players compete, like, Lyle Thompson, just, he never stops, he's uh, pretty impressive to watch out there, and, uh, you know, you can kind of see what it takes in order to, in order to win, so.
4: The National Cross League is going to expand to Halifax, New York next year. Obviously, the league is continuing to grow, and you've been in a part of this league for quite some time.
3: How excited are you for the future of this game? Yeah, I think um, I think Nick's done a, uh, a tremendous job um, in the uh, three years he's been here, and uh, it's uh, for the first time. I, I'm super optimistic uh, for the first time in a long time, um, in with what's going on. Uh, they're getting the right uh, business partners involved. Uh, there's enough quality lacrosse players that uh, you can see teams like Philly and San Diego come in and, and compete, which I think is is real big for new markets. No one wants to watch a team lose for 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I just think, honestly think it's a perfect storm. Lacrosse in general is getting bigger, uh, more kids playing, bigger audience, um, and the product of is, is I think it's uh, it's outstanding. So. Um, I think uh, I think he's actually found the right formula, and I'm I'm uh, hoping he has as well, but I, yeah. I really do think he has, and I think it's going to, uh, you know, five, ten years from now, there's going to be lots more teams, and they're all going to be uh, healthy draws at the gate. You're yeah. a Northern Alberta guy. How exciting would it be to get a team back in Edmonton? Yeah, it'd be nice. They got to do it, and I was uh, talking to someone about that the other day, uh hopefully uh, the NLL is in contact with those guys. Because I think if uh, the Oilers management group could get a hold of it, I think uh, I think they could really market it out there. And I know Bruce did a good job as well. But uh, I think I think it could be a market for sure. Um, so hopefully they'll get another crack at it at some point. Do you think they would let Peter Shirelli be the GM of the lacrosse team? Hey, I've been defending Peter Shirelli for a long time. But I'm running <laughs> really? out of excuses. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> so. going to say.
4: How do you feel about your Oilers? Our, our Oilers right now—it's a bad spot.
3: Yeah, it's tough. It's, um, it's uh, it doesn't look very good on them. I still, like I said, I've been defending them for the last couple of years on some of these trades, but at the end of the day, uh, the results really aren't there. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, something happens in the next couple of weeks before the trade deadliner. Wouldn't be with, bad uh, with yeah. him. It wouldn't be bad if they made the playoffs, but it's
4: a it's a tough spot for them right now. Uh, the Rock are in a good spot moving forward. You guys got the Philadelphia Wings this weekend, a rematch uh of a game earlier in the season. You guys have had a very East heavy schedule. How important is it to continue to win within the division?
3: Yeah, I mean like there's you know, there's lots of uh lots of teams in the East with great records. So, uh, you know, we're we've we really essentially accomplished nothing uh so far yet. So we're just gonna keep grinding away here and um uh just a chance to another win in the column so it's going to be a big game uh excited to get back to philly we haven't been there obviously uh probably five years now i guess so um we're uh, we're focused uh, we got practice tonight so we'll hopefully get a good one in the books and then um fly on, on friday and uh, hopefully take care of business on friday on uh, saturday obviously the events of a couple weekends ago um have taken a, or put
4: a bit of a sour mouth in lacrosse fans around philadelphia but for us that have played there back in the day, it was an incredible environment. It still is an incredible environment to play in Philadelphia. What do you remember
3: uh, about the original onset of the
4: wings and your time playing against them?
3: Oh, it was it was a great place. Like uh I mean some of those guys, uh they some of their fans had the best signs and uh yeah. I remember the one time I went down there and they had the big uh was my my nickname was Prairie Dog and so they had a big sign, uh blade Fairy Dog Manning and uh <laughs> They're ribbing me the whole game, and then the next game it's uh Jim neckman, yeah, for yeah. Jim so, Altman. and uh I mean it was all in good fun, uh obviously, and it was pretty humorous until uh until I think obviously two weeks ago that one's a little bit uh a little bit tougher to take, but uh for the most part, you know I think uh they got a great fan base down there, and I think they're gonna be a successful franchise. Uh, obviously,
4: the weather is not that great
3: back east. How jealous are you of Pat Merrill and
4: his suntan chicken legs?
3: Yeah, no doubt. I think a couple of those guys might have been out there for uh, the whole week when they were back-to-back. So uh must be nice getting out there as opposed to uh, Toronto here. It's freezing cold the last few days. So um, I'm sure his chicken legs are getting a tan slash burning.
0: That is the prairie dog or the fairy dog, if you're in Philadelphia, Blaine Manning. Um, What are the golden era age of Alberta lacrosse players? And I had to consult my Alberta almanac, a.k.a. Jamie Shuchuk, um, of just the amount of guys who have come out of Alberta in the early 2000s that have paved the way for the next group of young Albertans. Uh, Blaine Manning, Darren Hillier, Ben Prepchuk, uh, Johnny Harrison, Jordan Cornfield, Taylor, and Devin Ray, both the Snyder brothers, Jimmy Quinlan, Jamie Bowen. Um, The list goes on and on of Alberta-based players. Caleb Toth is a Calgary guy. Um, The the other guys were more Edmonton-focused guys, but... It was great to see the amount of guys that came out of Alberta uh, that not only had a chance to play for either Calgary or Edmonton, but have been great ambassadors of Alberta lacrosse throughout the professional ranks, and there's more and more coming throughout the years. And I think that's great not only for the NLL. It's great for Alberta lacrosse. Uh, It's great for lacrosse across the country because... You know, everyone was BC, Ontario, then Alberta was next. Now we're starting to see some Saskatchewan guys. Next up is Alberta. We're going to have, you know, Halifax lacrosse is coming next year. That is going to be a huge boost for the growth of the game. It probably won't be long until we see some true Nova Scotians in the National Lacrosse League. Um, You know, we've got guys from Quebec in this league, we have a growing number of Canadian players from the different provinces. That will soon start to filter into the NLL. And we're starting to see it down south where guys aren't just coming from the traditional hotbeds of the Northeast. We're getting players from all over North America starting to play the game. And and we have our first true Euro in Joachim Miller uh, from Turku, Finland, who's on the Wings roster. And we're just starting to see the global expansion, the global worth of lacrosse around the world as players start to filter into the NLL and with more expansion, more teams, more players, that's obviously going to mean a more worldwide-based player pool. And I think that it's absolutely fantastic for the game. And you just have to go back and look at guys like Blaine Manning and Hillier and Quinlan and Shuchuk, guys that were the first really to come out of Alberta, and now we're seeing more and more Alberta kids because they grew up watching the rush and the Roughnecks and those Alberta-based players. So uh, thanks to Blaine Manning for stopping by. He's always a great guy to chat with. always love catching up with him uh, when Toronto and Colorado meet up. And any time we can see each other is always good fun. We played junior together in Victoria as well as with the senior Shamrocks, and that guy was one heck of a lacrosse player. I think you really have to put Blaine Manning up there uh, in the ranks of top 10, top 5 right-handers ever to play the game. Uh, I've had this discussion many times throughout my travels. If you look at the top 10 in National Lacrosse League scoring. The amount of lefties versus righties. I think when we talked about this last week or a couple weeks ago there was um, 7 of the top 10 were all left-handers. Might have been... Eight of ten. Can't quite remember. But you have to put the likes of uh, Stainhouse and Manning and Toth all in that, you know, best ever right-hander second to Dan Dawson because I truly believe he will go down as the best right-handed player of all time. Crazy to think that he was a sixth-round draft pick by Columbus. But it's just interesting to see the dynamic of left versus right. And I can't remember who said it uh, to me on Twitter. We were talking about lefties versus righties. And they said the reason lefties are better, quote unquote, uh, was because there weren't as many of them. And so they got more reps. And so their skills improved faster. It's not a bad thought process. I think lefties are just superior in general. Left-handed shooters. I'm a right-handed writer. Left-handed writers are weird. But left-handed shooters were the bee's knees. But it's interesting to see righties versus lefties in just the offensive statistical categories. And I would love to hear your top five right-handers of all time. Is it as simple as Dawson, Dawson? Stainhouse, Manning, Toth, Evans? Can you be that cut and dry? If you got another guy you want to fit in there, love to hear it. Who are your top five right-handed players of all time in the NL? It'll be on Twitter, at OffTheCrossbar. Find me, follow me, give me your suggestions. We've heard from Blaine Manning of the Toronto Rock about the successes of Toronto Rock. I wonder what Pat Gregoire has to say. Every week, we take a peek. Around the NLL, so many stories to tell. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat. With smoking. You know
4: the jingle, it's catchy, it's in your ear, and you're probably going to be singing it for the next three days, our weekly chat with Smoke and Pat. Patty, how are you, bud?
2: Well, not too bad, man, despite being freezing here in Ontario, and you're laughing right now probably in what, plus, plus Celsius weather right now?
4: Yeah, it's like four degrees, but it started to rain today. I was oh, talking with Blaine yeah. Manning earlier, and I was bugging him about being able to golf, and I think I jinxed it because it just started to pour rain. But <laughs> uh, I am in shorts, and oh. um, I haven't seen snow in over two years, so I'm good. Move oh, to the yeah. west, man! I keep telling you. I I know, I know, I know. Our boy Tyson figured it out now. It's oh yeah. Up to you,
2: smart guy. I know,
4: right? He, he's sometimes smart.
0: Um, you are
4: you are very smart, and that's why we have you on the show. Um, it was an incredibly busy weekend in National Cross. We had games all three days of the weekend. Um, let's start with one of the hottest teams in the NLL. One of five teams that are on three 0 winning streaks, so and that's the Toronto Rock. Uh,
2: how impressed were you with them this weekend? I, I mean, I was very impressed, Eddie. I mean, you, you look at all their wins. They've had some you know big. Um, impressive wins they've had some wins where they've kind of scraped by by the skin of their teeth most notably with that Philly game Uh, but this one was the most impressive win for me not just because it was against Georgia who's the the hottest team coming into this game but just the way that they won it was you know we've seen Tom Schreiber, Adam Jones and Rob Hellyer pretty much dominate all season long with no secondary scoring showing up. But this week, it was a completely different story. It was those depth scores that really helped secure that win and hand Georgia the first loss. I mean, Dan Craig scored a hat-trick. He was awesome. Challen Rogers chipped in with two in transition. Dan Littner, I thought he's been having a really good season, but he's been doing the little things. Uh, but now, finally, he's getting rewarded with some goals. He had two. Kieran McCardle had four points. Uh, so the offense was really clicking it's been clicking all year long uh, but it was always the top guns that were showing up this game it was a mix of both the big guns were out but also those secondary scorers came out to play as well the defense and and rows were outstanding as well and and I think the biggest difference uh, and the most impressive thing for them was that They started on time and finished strong. And I know that's so cliche. You hear coaches say it all the time, but it is. It's so important to have strong quarters, you know, in the first and the fourth. They shut out Georgia in that first quarter and then held the swarm to just one goal in the fourth, and that's that's huge. You really set the tempo in that fourth quarter by going up 4 nothing, and then as Georgia starts to climb back and get into the game, you see Lyle Thompson score a couple of big goals late in that third quarter, and you're thinking, oh, no, here we go. We've seen this movie before. But, no, instead, Rosie shuts the door. The defense has a real strong fourth, and they close things out.
4: Man, you just spewed everything out on the table right there. Um, I I don't know where to go back to, but um, let's start with the offense. And uh, Blaine Manning and I were talking just about the depth of guys on that roster and how Tom Schreiber um, has done a great job since coming into the league, but it's been a slow process for Kieran McArdle. Um, But I thought this weekend was one of his better games.
2: It was, and it seems like I thought, you know, the the last time these two teams met where he put up six was his best game, Uh, but then he follows it up against Georgia And it's just the confidence level. I mean, I would like to go back and see of all six goals, how many goals were around the restraining line. The dude will shoot from wherever, but he's got such an unbelievable shot. And, you know, he's the type of guy that, you know, you can definitely still tell you know, that his skill set is from the field lacrosse game, but he's now adapting those skills. You know, one of the goals he had a beautiful throwback that looked exactly, you know, like a midi dodging the alley, throws it back to the other midfielder, uh, to get a shot off. He he's using his field lacrosse skill set that he has, uh, but he's adapting it to the box game, which is, is huge to see. Uh, and, and he's a the guy. he's a guy that, you know, is going to have to produce uh, we know Hellier, we know Jones, we know Shriver. These guys are going to be putting up consistent points pretty pretty much throughout the year. But once it comes to the playoffs, teams are going to have game plans to shut down or even uh, key in on certain guys. Those other secondary scores are going to have to come up. And, and when you look down at the score sheet and have you know a four spot from kieran McCardle, you're going to take that all, all all game long. But he's the type of guy that now you know what. If he can continue this progression, one day he might not be, a, a, you know, just a depth guy for the Rock. You gotta assume some of these expansion teams are, you know, foaming at the mouth, hoping they can grab him. I mean, wouldn't he look great as as a strong piece for that, uh, you know, that team in Long Island in New York, a homegrown boy uh, debuting and, and being a real strong piece uh, for that team going forward?
4: Absolutely. Uh, you look at the standings in the East. Toronto and Buffalo are four and one, New England's three and one, then you got Georgia at four and two, followed by Rochester and Philadelphia. And I asked Blaine this and he kind of, you know, gave the stereotypical answer. It's not really what we're worried about. But is Toronto the most underrated of those top teams in the East, do you think?
2: Oof. I mean
4: I, I, like, everybody's I think, ta- everyone's talked about, you know, Georgia and their hot start. Everyone's looking yeah. at, at Buffalo and the addition of Matt Vince and how well they've been playing. And then New England, of course, you know, wow, this team is really starting to come in mm-hmm. their own. There's challenges. we talked about it last week. I just don't think enough people are giving Toronto enough credit. They literally, it's not for that heroic effort by Lyle Thompson three weeks ago. They
2: can be 5-0. and 0. Yeah, I mean, the way you break it down there, I think you are right. I think you could maybe say, yeah, New England, the most underrated but now everyone's talking about him everyone's saying how underrated they are well that doesn't really mean they're underrated anymore but toronto's going under the radar you nailed it uh you know we're, we're seeing so many aspects of their game it's not just you know tom schreiber and jones and and Hellier are running away here putting up all these numbers you know the you know nick rose is putting together one heck of a season right now uh he's been unbelievable. I thought his last game he was even better than what we've seen. Their defense looks real strong. I thought Brock Sorensen, uh that might have been one of his best games that we'd seen him out of the back door. If he's a, if he can keep that consistency, he's going, you know, to continue to be a force. You just look all the way through their lineup and I know they haven't had that depth scoring up until last game, but if they can get those guys producing, you still have the big numbers from the top three. And Rosie's buzzing and that young, fast, athletic decor and transitions going. This is a deadly, deadly team. And you're right. It No one's talking about it. But I think the Rock are totally fine with that because they're going under the radar. Because in the last few years, everyone's always said, all right, is this the year Toronto can get it done? And maybe the pressure has gotten to the young team. Uh, but this year, I totally agree. They are going under the radar. And I bet you they're loving it.
4: Rose, point seven nine eight. Save percentage. Uh he's got a he's second in save percentage. He's fourth in minutes. He's tied for the lead in wins. Uh he has been a massive part of that team's success. He's second in goals against average and he's just playing incredible lacrosse for a goal that again I don't think gets a lot of credit for the excellence that he gives and the steadiness that he gives that team. Uh let's move along and stay in the East. Uh, we're talking about teams being successful. Unfortunately for the Rochester Nighthawks, they are not. In that list, they've lost the last three. Is this a team that we really should be worried about?
2: You know what? From the outside looking in, I think people could maybe thinking, "Oh boy, this might be time to hit the panic button." You know, they're in their last year in Rochester. They're going to Halifax, but let's not forget what happened to this team last year and what they went through. They started out hot, one two in a row. They looked like you know all these youngsters. It was a very promising year for them but then they go ahead and lose six straight games and everyone writes them off, except for themselves. You know, talking to Cody Jamison last year at the NLL Cup Finals before game three, um, in Rochester as well too, uh, you know, he he mentioned so many times, every time I talked to him, he said, you know, we weren't worried. We were not worried. And I had to ask him again, come on, you had to have think. He's like, no. And I asked even, you know, you guys had to have thought, maybe been worried at some point. No, zero panic. And I do believe that. Uh, and, and this year, if they had no panic last year, why would they have panicked this year? Their team is pretty much exactly the same, with the exception of obviously Matt Ben's net, which is a huge difference. Uh, but Angus Goodleaf, he hasn't been the issue. And, and then you look at maybe a couple of players here and there, like you know, Curry or Frankie Brown. Those aren't huge pieces. Obviously, they make a difference. But this is pretty much the exact same core. They're far, far too good to be continuing to lose these games. And if you look at the schedule, you look at the results, they've played very good teams. They've been in pretty much every single game, except for that stinker in Buffalo. Uh, And this week it was the same. They played pretty much an entire three quarters and they had a brutal third quarter where they were outscored five, nothing. So pretty much every single game they've been in it. It's just, they haven't been on the right side. And during that six game losing skid we saw last year, Every single game, pretty much, they didn't get blown up. They were staying close. So it's cliche to say, and I've thrown up up a couple uh, already today, but they're just going to trust the process. They're going to believe in themselves. You know, Coach Hazen's probably preaching the same thing. They've got a huge test, obviously, this week against Buffalo, but I think they're going to be ready. They're going to be hungry. And this game just has slump buster written all over it for me. Big cliche guy, Pat Gregoire.
4: Big (laughs) cliche guy.
2: Um, Big cliche
3: guy.
4: uh, I often wonder, and I've kind of been in this situation as a, a part of an expansion team, but I don't think anybody's been in a position like the players are that are in Rochester, where you're knowing that this is your last year in that city, and as a collective unit, your team's moving. I wonder how much that begins to weigh on guys' minds.
2: Yeah, you know what? I I I really was thinking about that, and I think I think it, it probably is some pressure. I, I mean, especially for for the guys that have been there for a long time. That's mm. that's got to be stressful, knowing that you know this is some of the last games that you're going to be, you know, in a Rochester Nighthawks uniform, playing in that building, playing for that passionate fan base. Um, obviously, you're excited for what the future holds, but you really, really do want to. You know, make your last year as a Nighthawk in Rochester a memorable one. Uh, Obviously, I think there's going to be some pressure there. But at the end of the day, look at Cody Jameson, one of their leaders. That's a guy that thrives off pressure. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I know in the game, right, definitely not in the game right now. And I don't know, maybe of all time, a guy that has risen to the occasion more than him in those big games. I mean, just a few years ago, the dude basically won a Man Cup by himself with no with no MCL in his knee and the one, his one knee. Uh, This is a guy that, you know, he, he really has embraced Rochester. Uh, He's a guy that obviously, you know, going forward in Halifax is going to be a, a big figure there, but him, a lot of these other guys that have been around for a long time, I think they want to make this last year special, especially last year with the way how it lost losing in three games after such an up and down year.
4: Let's switch pace and talk about rookies in the National lacrosse. Like Obviously, Austin Stotts is just, he's third in league scoring right now. He's second or tied for the league uh, in most goals. He's really on pace to become uh, a first-year rookie goal-scoring and point-scoring leader, which is incredible to think of. I, I think you know the rookie scoring numbers are probably going to get shattered by Audi this year, but you have a guy on your list who you think is possibly in the runner up position and it's Steph Charbonneau.
2: Please yep.
4: explain why.
2: <laughs> you know what? It's, I, I honestly think that, you know, whoever the runner up is gonna be this year, it it's gonna be a major, major gap between Austin Stotts and whoever it is. But I do truly think that if Stock wasn't having such an incredible year or if Stock maybe didn't even, you know, go into the draft this year and went on to play NCAA ball, I do truly believe that Steph Garbino would be there. I've been a big fan of his game for a long time, uh, but I didn't think he was going to be this good this quick. He's been no doubt the best defender and most consistent defender uh, for Philly uh, he's been a spark plug in transition he's been so steady in his own end uh he's second in the league in defend defender scoring just a point behind Priolo he's in the top ten for loose balls and actually there's only five other rookies that have more points than him and he's a defender he just goes out the the back door he he's a, just a guy that has gotten an opportunity he was in calgary last year uh just on the practice roster and it just this proves that with the growth of the NLL, there are going to be some guys waiting in the weeds for their opportunity. And Steph Charbonneau has taken that opportunity and run with it. I know, obviously, Paul Day is going to say, you know, we've had our eyes on on him watching him in, in major series with Colberg. But even him, I don't even know if he knew how good Charbonneau was going to be this year. What do you think's the best part of his game? I think his... Honestly, the best part of his game is is his ability uh, to play with an edge and and toe that line. He's always in your face. Um, He's hacking, he's whacking, but he's very disciplined. He's only got seven penalty minutes on the year so far, Uh, and he he just plays with such high intensity. He's got that high mortar. He's always going, and he's a guy that, you know, doesn't come from a a lacrosse hotbed uh, Mm -hmm. in Montreal. West well, Island, know. right? Is that what yeah, they call it? He, West Island. Yeah, yeah. And, and But, I mean, he has such a high lacrosse IQ. He has raw athleticism. But I do think it's that high motor and, and just that he's always in your face. He's tough to play against. Um, and he's only going to get better, I think. Yeah, Minto Cup
4: champion with Coquitlam. Um, he continues to improve. Uh, he continues to understand and learn the National Lacrosse League game under Paul Day. Uh, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, I just don't know if rookie D guys get much attention um, around the league.
2: No, it's – I mean, it's true. Uh, it, it definitely isn't a sexy pick. I mean, obviously, you do look at, at, at the – maybe it's – maybe – I mean, he's having a tremendous year. Let's mm-hmm. let's not forget that. But maybe it's because Stoss is so much head and shoulders better than every other offensive player right now. I mean, who else – Chris Clucci has been all – He's been pretty solid, I think, 18 points. Uh, Connor Kiernan's been a nice complimentary piece as well down in San Diego. Uh, You know, Chris Boshi, like, he's he's come out of nowhere. nowhere. He's come out of absolutely nowhere. I mean, he's a guy that barely snuck onto that roster. The only reason he really got onto the roster is because they didn't have, you know, Dixon and Berg in the lineup. They had to fill that spot. Mm -hmm. He gets cut from Buffalo and just magically lands into their laps, and he's been tremendous. So, I mean, maybe he's a guy, but Who else really, you know, falls into that category right now? I mean, maybe some of the other guys, maybe Clujet, maybe he catches fire. Maybe a guy like J.P. Keeley, who's had a pretty uh, strong start as well. Maybe he gets in the mix. But, I mean, let's be real here – at the end of the day it's going to be awesome stop yeah, so, yeah. who really cares who the runners up
4: <laughs> I think it I think when you think about it and you kind of mentioned if, if Audie didn't come in the draft which there was some speculation I think the rookie of the year race is a lot tighter
3: um, yeah.
4: but since he he's come in he's just absolutely blown everybody out of the water um, from the game one in, in Colorado where he just took the world by storm and as I mentioned you know he's tied with Lyle for most schools. he's hitting fourth in the league and the scoring at 32 points, just five off Dane Doby uh, and Sean Evans. It's incredible to see. And I got to give you credit, Patty. You have sold me a little bit more on Steph Charbonneau. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that number two spot uh, in the NLL rookie of the year race.
2: Well, hopefully for Charbonneau, he doesn't have uh, any sort of side effects of what new England has had because Everything that I say with New England goes opposite, <laughs> so let's hopefully it doesn't happen for Sharps. Yeah. If that's the case, I'm gonna start bashing him because then he'll get his magic back.
4: Uh we'll keep Clem Diraccio, uh happy. Are you picking Buffalo or New England this weekend?
2: I I'm taking Buffalo. <laughs> I mean if I was to take New England and they lose, oh I will never ever hear the end of it from Clemmer and the boys. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Buffalo. Everyone fade my pick. Go with New England. It's a lock.
0: There he is, our weekly man myth legend, Pat Gregoire. Find him on Twitter, at pgreggy. I had to grill him and, and push him on the Steph Charbonneau thing because when he told me that he was leaning that way, I was very confused. But he does make some good points. And especially being a D guy, Charbonneau has quite impressed me um, in Paul Day and Ian Rubel's defensive system. I'm just not sure if he'll get the votes to come in at number two. I think guys like Chris Kluche and Chris Boushey will garner more attention, but I really believe and agree with Patty that Steph Charbonneau has allowed himself to step out of or step into a bit of the rookie spotlight despite the amount of light being shone on Austin Stotts. It would be very interesting that if you took Audie out of the running, who would be the rookie of the year? Poll question number two, after who your top five righties, number two is who would be the NLL rookie of the year if Austin Stotts was not in the NLL? Find me on Twitter, at off the crossbar. Let me know. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Two very intriguing topics of debate. Top five righties. Who would win rookie of the year if Audie Stotts wasn't in the NLL this year? Obviously, that's a bit of a hypothetical. But what's a hypothetical question without a lot of debate? Now. Let's move to the West. We've really been focusing on the Eastern Conference for most of the show, but the West is starting to become just as exciting as we've always expected it to be. Saskatchewan leading the way at 3 and 1, followed by San Diego at 4 and 2, Calgary 3 and 4, then Colorado and Vancouver, both with one wins. Colorado 1 and 3, Vancouver on a 5-game losing streak after Winning that first game in overtime. Beersy scoring the goal against Calgary on the road. Everything was jamming and everything was going great. And they hit a bit of a speed bump. They have been so close. That almost goal at the end of the game against San Diego. A little less spin. A little left English. Something to help that ball go left instead of it going right. And that game goes to overtime. A heartbreaking way to lose that game in front of your home crowd. But as Brad Chowner tweeted out, an instant rivalry has been born. A West Coast rivalry. A true West Coast rivalry between the Seals and the Warriors. And it was an incredible game. Sure, the Seals were playing their second game in back-to-back nights. But you can never, ever take that lightly in the National Lacrosse League. Vancouver was up, they were down, they were battling hard, they were continue, continued to push the tempo, continued to get in on Frank, and they had their moments, and they had their chances. But they just couldn't get it done. They'll get a chance against Colorado this weekend, Saturday, inside Rogers Arena. I will be there cheering on the Mammoth loud and proud. Speaking of those mammoth, they got their first win, and boy, did they need it. And finally, for the first game all year, they put 60 minutes together on both sides of the ball. The Toronto game was their next closest. They just shot themselves in the foot too many times with unforced errors and gave up way too many shots. Sunday, their second Sunday of four this year. They get some revenge on Calgary. They tie the season series up at a game of peace. They allow themselves to vault over Vancouver for the fourth playoff spot in the West due to winning percentage in games played. And now they get to go into Vancouver and they get a chance to maybe create a little bit of space and a chance to climb up the standings a little bit as Calgary is idle this weekend. And so with the win, they would basically be on level with Calgary. And unfortunately for the Mammoth, they had to put Stephen Keogh on the IR. Still not truly sure what the injury is. Let's just go with a body injury. Not an UBI, not an LBI, just a BI. Just a straight body injury. And when you take one of the initial seven out, obviously they had to make a decision of which way they wanted to go. And they decided they would give that killing kid, Kyle Killing, a chance. And boy, did he impress. From his very first shift, he made an impact. The first shift that he had, he came screaming off the bench, caught a pass, swung it, went right through the middle, almost got the pass back for a first great opportunity. And that's how he scored both of his goals. Young kids, pay attention. Go back and watch the Colorado game. And just watch Kyle Killen's two goals that he scores. Both of them, he comes screaming off the bench with a full head of steam. Cuts through the middle. Gets a half a step on his defender. Catches a ball in traffic. Makes two moves. And scores two beautiful goals. He goes... Short side, far side on his wrong side, and then coming down strong middle, he goes far side, short side for his second. Speed through through the middle of the floor, stick up, catch it in traffic, finish with composure. And man, was he fired up. Before the game, he was jacked up and ready to go. After the game, he was like floating on cloud nine. And it just, there was a different energy Within the Mammoth. And it could have been because of the afternoon game. It could have been because the Avalanche Nuggets had won the night before and Denver was just a and crazy sports town full of buzz all weekend. Case in point, or side note, Stan Kroenke's five professional teams went undefeated over the weekend. Rams, Mammoth, Avalanche, Nuggets, Arsenal. 5-0. and oh. What a wicked weekend for Mr. Kroenke. But the energy that the Mammoth had from Dylan Ward through Dan Coates and that defense all the way up to Noble, Benny, Killen, Wardle, McLaughlin, everybody out that front door was contributing. And that's what they need every single game. So let's chat with the guy who orchestrates that offense, Sean Williams. And Willie, much like Blaine Manning and I are former teammates, he and I played in Rochester together, and I've always been a fan of Sean Williams. I enjoy everything that he does. I enjoy him as a human being. I enjoy him as a teammate, as a person. And the guy just makes me laugh. But he's also incredibly knowledgeable inside the lacrosse box. We kind of called him the Wizard, even though he didn't really like the nickname. But that's just what he was. He was brilliant. He and John Grant had an incredible chemistry between the two of them. They pulled off moves I never even thought possible. And you kind of saw it. A couple times with the bank pass-off, the glass attempt. That was a Junior and Willie thing back in Rochester. And now they've got some games under their belt. They've got their feet wet with Willie as the O-coach. They're starting to understand what he's trying to implement, and they're starting to work the systems, and we saw it Sunday. So when I caught up with Willie, he had finished school, and I asked him how much of a better feeling was Sunday compared to the last 3 games.
1: Yeah, obviously it's uh it was a it was a relief um you know, it's, uh, it was definitely a different feeling leaving uh the Pepsi center on Sunday, but uh you know, we were obviously uh we were due. Due
4: due is a very good word to use it. Is there was there a simple fix or was it just um momentum moving forward in the season that finally came everything came together for you guys?
1: Yeah, I think it's a bit of everything, you know, obviously you, uh, you try to, you know, you're in a little bit of a slump and you're, you're, you tend to overanalyze uh, everything actually. And, uh, you know, we just went in with the, the attitude that, uh, you know, we are doing things well. It's just, uh, let's just get more consistent and, uh, you know, definitely up on the offensive end. And we just had to make sure we were uh, <clears throat> bringing uh, energy and uh, urgency, you know, uh, trying to do it every shift and it's it's tough, obviously, in this league. But that was uh, definitely one of the keys, was just uh, was just that. Have you found
4: it hard coming into a new environment for your first sort of real coaching experience in this league and trying to adjust to uh, an offense that was sort of very set with the same
1: seven guys? What's been the biggest challenge for you? Uh, you know what? Yeah, it's it, obviously it's not easy. It's probably it's not easy on everybody. And uh, you know, however, it, you know. Lacrosse, of lacrosse. It wasn't, you know, definitely not coming in uh, as a so-called outsider and trying to change things up. It's just, uh, you know, trying to uh, just get a good read on, uh, you know, everything that
0: uh, everything
1: that they, you know, the different tendencies that uh, that certain guys have and, and things like that. So just, uh, you know, you sit back and you, you watch and you, you just analyze from a little, you know, from afar. Hopefully, you know, you're hoping that was longer, um, you know a longer training camp but that didn't happen Mm -hmm. so it is what it is and you just uh you know we just try to get better every week we're together and uh yeah
4: you've uh you're part of the golden triangle of coaches that have played for toronto rochester and buffalo actually one of the three one of the few that have played for all three um but you've also had some incredible coaches in your career um who do you most lean on for coaching aspects that you put into your style of coaching Honestly, I don't.
1: Uh, I don't know. I I, I think I've uh, taken. You know, you, you try to take a piece of uh, everybody with you. Um, the technical aspect, probably uh, the most technical guy that I played for was uh, Eddie Como That's for mm-hmm. sure. You know, and uh, he had a very uh, he had a very good demeanor about him, and you know, he would let us play, but he'd also, you know, we we have to, certain sets we uh, could go back and fall back on when things weren't going so well. And, uh, he just knew, you know, knew when to kind of, uh, kind of step in and take charge and, uh, and times went uh, let's, let's let go. You're not a yeller on the bench,
4: are you? Sorry. sorry. You're not much of a yeller on the bench, are you?
1: Uh, no, you know, it's just, uh, you, you try, you know, you just, uh, I can be if needed, but, uh, mm-hmm. that right now, that's not my role. It's just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's kinda of like let's get what's what's up next shift and just uh you know, trying to get in uh in guys' ears and uh like I said, just do my job up front.
4: How have you created a relationship uh with
1: Pat and Andrew on that bench? Oh, it's been it's been great. Obviously I've had the I guess, you know, had the pleasure of uh playing with Pat early on in uh in, in my career in uh in Hamilton in Toronto and uh I had one summer with him in uh Coquitlam and uh you know, so that's been great and uh obviously playing uh, for years against Andrew and uh, battling against each other. And it's just, it's, uh, it's it, it fit well right away.
4: How were, how was that year in Hamilton?
1: <laughs> it was awesome. It was, yeah. uh, you know, it was just, uh, yeah, we, we, you know, we, we being from uh, Southern Ontario and uh, you know, it was a great, it was a great arena and uh, it was a great bunch of guys. We had a good mix of uh, BC uh, fly-ins and uh, you know, our, a bunch of guys from the GTA. It was yeah. uh it was a lot of fun. Do
4: you think they'll ever go back to Hamilton? Do you think they'll sort of just stick with the Rock
1: in Toronto? I I'm sure the Rock, you know, maybe they would like that. Not, you know, it's uh it's pretty tough with uh Toronto and Buffalo being there and yeah, to, but you never know. It, it might actually as much as we think it might not help. It uh it might be a good thing to have that close of a rivalry you guys start with four home games and that's never
4: easy especially when you had that big break during the christmas uh time but now you guys get to go on the road is this a good time for you guys to get out on the road
1: i, I think so i, I it's always a, it's always uh you know a different mindset going on the road and uh you know you're definitely all together and you're just in a in a different uh different mode um you know playing at the Pepsi center is uh you know for anybody is, is obviously Incredible, but I think uh I think the way we're going right now it'd be good to get going on the road and uh see what we can do.
4: Everybody knows uh the story of your son Tucker. Um how much do you think about him? Is it every day? Is he still with you everywhere you go?
1: Uh absolutely. It's uh, uh there's not too many honestly not too many minutes that go by without uh a reminder or a thought. Uh you know, it's uh it's not easy but uh, you know, his battle and uh, the way he took it on is uh, definitely keeps, uh, definitely keeps us going as a family uh, every single day, you know,
4: Mm -hmm. how much do you think um, it's affected uh, his brother growing up and now having to sort of kind of carry on and move forward?
1: I think uh, it's, you know, just uh, again, it's, it's the way he went about his daily business of fighting Mm -hmm. his fight. I think, uh, he taught us all a lot of lessons, especially, uh, you know, his, uh, his big brother who, you know, as a big brother, you're supposed to be the one that's, uh, protected and taken care of. And, uh, you know, so, but, uh, pretty cool thing is that, uh, <clears throat> it was, uh, Tucker needed a bone marrow. Um, uh, you need a bone marrow. Sorry. I'm getting a little choked up. Um, you needed, uh, you needed a bone marrow and Dyson was a perfect match. And, uh, donated his bone marrow. So it was actually uh, a really cool thing. And, you know, Tucker was uh, definitely, he had a few more months out of uh, out of this world with that, for sure.
4: Uh, it's a crazy bond between brothers that way, isn't it? Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, the lacrosse family is a tight bond. Um, the incident that happened with Lyle Thompson a couple of weeks ago, have you ever seen anything like that in your lacrosse experience?
1: No, no. You know, it's... Uh, I was uh obviously shocked as everyone and uh and disappointed and uh I hope that uh you know all the <clears throat> all the education that's uh coming from this and the has got everyone's got to learn from it and uh hopefully can uh you know like I said just learn from it.
4: Big game against the Vancouver Warriors on Saturday. What's the message for your offensive group without giving too many secrets away?
1: yeah honestly uh it's 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 not being satisfied you know it's yeah. that's one game and it's uh, obviously it was a great feeling to to get that one under our belts but uh this league doesn't uh it doesn't rest and you just gotta it's you know you just gotta stay consistent and hopefully you know bring that energy and urgency um to the rink on uh, on saturday nights and uh you know it's a it's a pretty cool opportunity for some of our guys it's a home game and home game for our head coach you know, and it's uh, obviously with the, the ties with uh, uh, the head coach on the other side. You know, everyone's a uh, really close friends, and it uh, should be a cool, uh, cool experience. Uh,
4: one more before you let you go. Uh, you know, you're getting your teeth cut in the NFL this year, and then uh, next year, our good buddy Reggie Thorpe uh, will get his chance. How excited were you when you heard the news that Reggie is going to be going to the new New
1: York team? Oh, It's amazing. Uh, we uh, he's such a he's such a great guy, great individual, but it was uh, he was. An unbelievable leader uh, yeah. that I got to play with for for a long time, and uh, you know, very uh, very proud and uh, you know, excited for him. Um, you know, he's uh, he, he's uh, he's a great addition, that's for sure.
0: There he is Sean Williams, offensive coach for the Colorado Mammoth, and I wasn't intending to get Willie choked up talking about Tuck Dog, but I guess in that situation, whenever you reminisce about someone who was your son and everything that you lived for and your heart and soul and your baby boy. To see him go through that and to have to reminisce, I guess it's pretty easy to get choked up. But you could hear the pride in his voice when he was talking about the sacrifices that Dyson made for Tucker, giving him a a bone marrow transplant and what he had to go through and everything that the family had to go through. I just unfathomable situation and I know that Sean and Tamara and all of the Williams appreciated all the love and the support that the lacrosse world have sent them over the years and I I love seeing the little anniversary reminders that they put out and how long it's been since he's been that, that Tucker has left us and um, It's just it's sad to know that he had to go through that and that the Williams family had to go through that. But as we've kind of talked about through this show, um, the game of lacrosse is a medicine game and it heals. And it allowed the Williams family to get back to some normalcy um, and move on but still remember the legacy that is Tucker Williams. And uh, you can guarantee with the lacrosse Oak cancer night coming up, Around the National Lacrosse League, there'll be many players um, and people that put Tucker on the back of those jerseys to to remember him, to honor him, um, and to keep his legacy alive. So I want to thank Sean Williams for joining us and and being open about that and just talking about that, um, but also just being an incredible guy uh, and a guy that, you know, he was put into a really tough situation going to Colorado. Um, And so was Andrew McBride. I think we kind of talked about this before. McBride's... um, induction into the team has been a little smoother um, because even though they had some tinkering to do in the defense the first game um, and they had to make some major changes, uh, it wasn't a major culture shift between a Pat Coyle-run defense and an Andrew McBride-run defense, whereas at the other end of the floor, bringing in Sean Williams uh, to replace Dan Stroop and Chris Gill... You know, he's had to put in his own ideas and his own um, plays and his own thought process and how he wants the offense to run. And the offense has to respond to that. And the offense has to do what he's asking of them. And making those shifts aren't that easy. And so it was understandable over those, those first few games that the Mammoth offense kind of struggled but I think to a man if you looked at the, inside that locker room and asked them they would tell you that they weren't playing very well and it wasn't the systems that Sean was trying to put in it just the offense wasn't clicking and I think this Calgary game really showed them that if they continue to practice what Sean preaches continue to do the little things that he stresses they're going to have success and we saw that Sunday against the Calgary Roughnecks, and they'll get another chance, as mentioned, when they take on the Vancouver Warriors this Saturday at Rogers Arena, one of five games on the NLL schedule this weekend. Three of them are on Saturday, Toronto at Philadelphia, Buffalo at Rochester, and then the Mammoth and Warriors. Buffalo, the only team this weekend to play a pair of games. They'll go back at it on Sunday when they go from Rochester, probably hop on a bus and drive the eight or 10 hours to New England to take on the Red Hawks hot Black Wolves in the other game. A matchup that's slowly becoming a marquee East V West matchup, the rush and the swarm deep in the heart of Georgia. And it'll be interesting to see how both of those clubs come out for that game. Obviously Saskatchewan on a three and O winning streak. Georgia have lost their last two games. Both were this past weekend. So, you know, they want right to write the ship. And if the Rush can put another win together, they'd allow themselves to create some space between them and the San Diego SEALs who are idle. And if you want to check the games out this weekend, super duper simple. BR Live. Get the app, find the website, stream the games, flip them over onto your TV. Enjoy all the action. Cause I know I will enjoy all the games on Sunday and any of the couple that I can catch. Saturday before I head to Rogers Arena for Mammoth and Warriors. The first time these two teams will meet this season. The uh, first of three. Colorado will go to Vancouver twice this year. And that will about do it. Uh, again, if you want to get a hold of me, we've got a couple poll ideas out there. Top five right-handers. And who would be your rookie of the year if it wasn't for Austin Stotts? Get at me, at off the crossbar. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. That'll do it. Thanks to Sean Williams. Thanks to Blaine Manning. Thanks to Smoking Pack Gregoire. We'll fill up the show next week. Keep you entertained, keep you informed, and educate as best we can. Until next time, enjoy the games, everybody, and be excellent to each other.